Hey friends, your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy GM Prep. In this weekly show, I go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for my Sunday role-playing game. In this case, I am running the game Numenera by Monty Cook Games, and a campaign in the world of Numenera. Excellent, excellent RPG, really enjoying it. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. If you're enjoying this show and you enjoy the other work I do, you can help me out by becoming a patron of Sly Flourish. The link is in the show notes below. Patrons get access to all kinds of exclusive material, video previews, city source books, all kinds of stuff. But most of all, they help me put on shows like this. So to the patrons of Slyflourish, thank you so much for your support. Yeah, we had a big session last week. So a quick, let's see, it's so hard to do like a 20 second summary of this campaign because it's so big. But in our Numenera game, a game set in the far distant future of Earth in a very a science fantasy world, the science fantasy world of Numenera, a super powerful otherworldly entity known as the Fourth Emperor, who once ruled over Earth about 400 million years ago, is now coming back again. Very powerful, super powerful entity from another dimension, another, another plane of existence is coming back to Earth. It was foretold by these entities known as Herald. Heralds are like super AI, super artificial intelligences encased in large spheres that are able to fly. They, they were up in, in orbit for a long time, many millions of years, and then came crashing back down to Earth. They didn't crash, actually. They landed down on Earth and foretold the coming of the Fourth Emperor and started the ball rolling for the Fourth Emperor's arrival. The Fourth Emperor's technology is ma- mainly built on nanites. It uses nanite, various custom nanites to sort of create things, build things, take over people, build new creatures and entities and things like that and it has done so so it started taking people over it it built a big army of groups known as the orgolians the orgolians have been bringing people and one of the main things that the that the fourth emperor's the the people that are paving the way for the fourth emperor's arrival the 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 empire the the empire the fourth emperor one of the things they've been doing is grabbing up nano nanos nanos in numenera are like wizards so they're wizards who can control nanites right their nanites are everywhere they can control these nanites and the fourth emperor knew that they needed those people to control the nanites that it needs in order to build the world some of the things it's been doing is like turning all the air into methane they have been sending armies all over the place they're building a giant gateway so that the fourth emperor can come through and taking over lots of people and building other people right so uh, in the most recent adventure that we they, during our campaign we actually had a 14 month jump that occurred because of an interesting cipher use one of the most fun tabletop games i've ever played in was when in the middle of a session the whole thing jumped 14 months in the future and it meant that all of the things that were going on jumped 14 months in the future fantastic moment but the characters have been trying to stop this event and the most recent thing they did was with by gathering up some resources and some dangerous you know dangerous artifacts and by recovering and helping to create i guess they didn't really create them but helping to recover groups of nanos who had actually been joined together into single personalities that are now known as the quad cores these the kind of superhuman you know, multiple personality entities that are able to control nanites far greater with far greater aplomb than a, a standard nano could and they only exist in the data sphere. This, this campaign has played out a lot, both in the physical world and in a thing known as the data sphere, which is like cyberspace or Numenera. Very high fantasy sci- cyberspace where you can actually send your physical body into the data sphere digitally like Tron. You know, if you think about Tron and then do stuff in the data sphere. We've done a lot in the data sphere. This whole last session took place in the data sphere. And... So in the last session, they actually got everything they needed to do to crack a herald. There's a particular herald that they've been dealing with. Remember, artificial superintelligence called 
Faradon. Faradon was the first herald that they encountered. It's known as the first herald. And they knew they couldn't just crack it on their own. They needed something in order to be able to break into the Faradon and take it over. And what they, they use these quad cores, these, these superhuman j joint personalities. There are five of them. They are known, I don't know why it's five, right? Five quad cores is, is off. But there's five quad cores. Each one of them is able to do it. And they built, kind of channeled their energy into a spear. And they said, use this spear and you'll be able to crack the shell of the Faradon. So they got it. They went to the Faradon. They fought some guys on the outside. They, they used a propaganda tunnel that the Faradon, the Faradon was using to spread the propaganda among the people. They, they went, they faced him. It was, he was this whippy dude. It was really fun. Then they used it, broke through the gateway that went up to Faradon, and they found themselves inside the Faradon in the data sphere. And it was this crazy alien garden kind of place with like a pools of scintillating data and weird trees, network trees that were rising up and very kind of fantasy, science fantasy, surrealistic stuff. One of my players said it was right out of like Genesis from Star Trek Rathacon. And I thought that was kind of a neat, you know, kind of a good, a good metaphor for it. And they fought the Faradon and a bunch of dudes. And we were a little close to the end of the session, and I didn't want to end it halfway into a battle so so they, they they defeated the ferret on a little bit e more easily but i thought like well you did all this prep work so for you to be able to beat the ferret on as easily as you did makes sense so that because you did all this work ahead of time but i made the ferret on like a level seven i think and it probably should have been like an eight or a nine and which brings up an interesting problem that i have with newman it's not really a problem it's a, it's a it's an oddity about monsters in numenera and they, they have this dial, don't forget, uh, Rorothic on page 109. Remember that. Somebody please remember that because I'm going to want to pull back that guy. Rorothic. So I was wondering, like, when you make high-level monsters, if you don't increase them horizontally as well as vertically, they don't, they're not that powerful, right? If they only have one attack. And so the interesting thing is I was like, is there a, is, is there are there rules for like when a monster should have multiple attacks or something like this? Hey, my mom is here. Hi, mom. And, you know, is there any rules for it? And they have this description here about like how to, what, what it all means, right? What does armor and damage and movement and health mean for Numenera creatures of a given level, right? And then they, they kind of hand wave things like modifications and they say other considerations multiple attacks no matter how big and tough it is a difficult for a single creature to hold its own against a group of foes like pcs giving the creature multiple attacks as a single action so that it can attack some or all of the characters at once goes a long way so they don't really offer any guidelines other than you probably want to have it attack multiple times which i guess is just like the ultimate dial right when i talk about DD, i talk about the dials of monster difficulty and one of those dials is number of attacks because you dramatically increase a monster's difficulty if you increase its number of attacks so but I, there's no, you, you would think like it would say something like at levels four and above, you want to start thinking about giving your monsters multiple attacks, right? Like f maybe it gets two attacks at level four, at level six, it gets three, at level eight, it gets four or whatever. And instead they're like, ah, just give it whatever number of attacks you want. Well, the, the, the only problem with it, it's fine, but like you got to be pretty experienced to know how many attacks you should give it, right? And they do it. If you read the monsters, they often do, right? They often do have multiple attacks or ways to hit multiple targets, but that's such a big jump in its difficulty. It's like, and when I talk about monsters, of monsters, the dials of monster difficulty, like in the lazy DMs companion and other things, I mentioned that like, that's a big gut. That's a big dial. Like if you increase its number of attacks, that's a big dial. Like think about fire giants doing three attacks instead of two. They're way harder. Right. And 
I, I, you know, I think it could have used better guidance for that. I don't need like super detailed rules. Like I like that you can just make a monster. Like how, how big is the Herald? Oh, it's a level eight, right? And now I know everything. It does eight damage. You have to beat a, what is it, 24? So you got to lower the tiers a lot to be able to hit it or defend against it. Lots of stuff, right? But like eight damage isn't a lot. You know, my, one, of the, my, my, one of my players' feedback was, I thought the Ferradon would hit harder. Well, it wasn't that it should hit harder. It's that it didn't do a lot of damage to a lot of targets. Right. And it should have like it could have thrown out pulses that were just hitting everybody. Right. These like sonic pulses, like screaming nanite stuff that was hitting everybody. That would have made sense for a creature that big and probably I will keep that in mind when they face big things in the future. So that was kind of interesting. And it's interesting that there really isn't a lot of this is from the Numenera Ninth World Bestiary in Numenera Discovery. There's not really anything about increasing a monster's attacks. And I think that that would be something they would want to be you know more conscious of and and offer offer more guidance on how it does instead they're saying look well the story drives it can attack multiple times yeah but you know level two matters and like a level six is not going to be very hard if it only attacks one time even if it's a level six if it attacks three times woo, now it's hard right so yeah that was that was that was something interesting what was the rora thick right let's take a look at the rora thick i, I want to bring rora thicks in I've, I've had them in the in my back burner I think these guys look cool. Rorathix, abhumans in the ninth world, none, you know, somewhere beyond the reaches of the beyond are blue clouds, a particular matter that have almost sentient, semblance of sentience. Humans, even abhumans who have encountered this mist are transformed into hideous creatures possessed by physical might, thick bluish hides, and mandibled mouths. They're like mind flayers, but they're tough, right? They are, Rorathix are, are level six, but see, they have 28 hit points instead of 18. Extremely skilled, they normally fight with two weapons at once and strike with both as a single action each attack inflicts six or it can also has a bite attack which does six damage and carries a mild paralytic venom death lunge death lunge attack single strike that involves both its weapons and its bite difficulty to defend against this attack is increased by one step and inflicts 12 points of damage as well as victim but you can look at this and be like yeah we're gonna give you know if you're only fighting one of these dudes give them a lot of attacks right if you're fighting a few of these dudes then you know more but i i like i like the idea of I think that the fourth emperor or agents of the fourth emperor are going to send out a bunch of Rorathix, these, these sort of other outworld assassins to hunt down the characters, right? I think it's like, okay, now, now the characters have gotten the attention of the fourth emperor and now they're going to start bringing these out. So, but yeah, when I look at these monsters, it's like, okay. And I guess it's just cool. Yeah. You have, you have dials on all this. You want to increase its health, increase its health. You can use the same dials of monster difficulty in Numenera as you can in D and D, which is, should they attack harder? Should they? I probably wouldn't screw with the level for success or failure, but you can increase damage. You can increase health. You can increase number of attacks. So three, and you can increase the number of monsters. So really the same four dials that work for D&D, number of monsters, number of attacks, amount of hit points, and, and amount of damage they do, all those dials can be tweaked too. There's no reason that it has to do six points of damage, right? This, they talk about that as those 12. There's no reason it has to have 18 hit points. It can have 28, right? You can have lots of hit points. So that's kind of an interesting thing to note, right? That's kind of interesting that the same four dials work just as well. I wonder how well they work in like first edition d and I, I presume they work just as well in first edition D&D or zero, zero E, like BX, you know, can you, can you use the same dials of monster difficulty in BX? that you could in fifth edition. And if that's the case, that's a very, those, those four dials are a very robust dial, a very robust tip that probably can span multiple editions of D&D and multiple RPGs. Good to know. As always, I'm using Notion to do my campaign planning. You can find 
information about using Notion in the show notes below. So I'm using Notion. I love it. It's a wonderful way to track campaign stuff. There are other ones too. Obsidian is another good tool for doing campaign planning. If you want to do kind of, you know, templated, templated like wiki based campaign planning, there's lots of tools to do it. Obsidian is a good one. A lot of people like Microsoft OneNote, but I, I have been using Notion and I like Notion a lot. And I have templates so that you can build your own campaign in Notion and you can find that in the show notes below. So let's generate a new one. So we generated a new session planning template. Today is the 3rd of July, Sunday, Numenera. And the first step that we always take is reviewing the characters. Who are the characters? And how can we incorporate more of the characters' backstory and their motivations and their dreams into the current session, right? So we have Biko. Biko is an intuitive jack who rides the lightning. You know, let's see. Named after a city where people went to heaven, perhaps as a connection to the data sphere. You know, that's a, that's a, you know, there's something, there's something I should probably, that's a, that's a thing he handed me and I have never run with it. So the idea that maybe he has a whole, he has a whole world in the data sphere could be something. And he's not, you know, when I ask him about where, what he wants and where he goes, he, you know, he's good with the current story. Like, let's get rid of, let's get rid of the fourth emperor. Cecilia, hideous Jack who wields power with precision. She is a bee person. She used to look like that. Now she looks like this as she has been changing. The one big difference for her and actually one big secret or one thing that's been going on is that her people die at like age 42. And every time they live to 42 and then they die. And she just found out a way she, through, a, through a, a cipher that she picked up to make their hides crystalline, which means they can no longer reproduce, but they can uh, live forever, essentially. So I think when they make it, when they make their way back, I think this is a good secret, right? That when they make their way back, the, the quad cores, let's make this the quad cores figured out how to replicate and spread the crystal, the crystalline carapace Cecilia brought back using it would remove people remove the species ability to reproduce but would let those who live live forever the quad cores learned that cecilia's people are all connected to the data sphere they could spread the crystal carapace. They could spread the crystal carapace with a single thought, but it will change the species forever. So I think that's kind of, is she willing to save all of her people at once, right? Uh, or does she have to bring it by hand to each of them? Like she can't kind of communicate. They, they, she'd have to go find each group and, and hand this to them, but they could do it. They could, they could, they could do it people by person by person, but it will take a long time. So I think that's kind of an interesting secret. The shade played by Joe is a meddlesome Jack who exists partially out of phase. I think that it would be interesting to have him, the, the fact that he exists partially out of phase that he can start to see things. So maybe he can add, can see the hex when he phases and it's everywhere. So what's the hex? The hex is a, another set of 
nanos, nanites, that the fourth emperor had created trying to build nanites that could both self-replicate and change the function that they needed to do. They also became sentient and they ended up destroying the fourth emperor, pushing the fourth emperor out and taking over the world for a hundred million years. And there was a hundred million year dark age. The fifth age of the Numenera, of Numenera in, my, in my world was a dark age. Nothing, there's no, almost no understanding of what happened technology had ceased connections had ceased and it took a hundred million years to kind of come back again so everyone's really afraid of the hex the characters are really afraid of the hex they did make an agreement with the hex that the hex said i won't take over your world again i don't want your world i want the fourth emperor's world i missed it the first time and i want it now if you release me into the into their world i won't i won't screw with yours and they have to make that agreement. Now, the, the, the tricky bit is the hex is already released. The hex is out there already, both in the data sphere and in the physical world. It's grown and you can see it. Now, the question is like, it's out there. It's not doing anything yet, right? But that means like it's holding a gun to their head. Now it kind of has to do what they want to do because it could just do stuff, right? It's really, really scary stuff. So that is a tricky bit. But I like the idea that maybe Jad can see it, right? Jad, because of his phasing out of phase, he can see the hex wherever it is. And know, know when it's around. So I think that that's cool. Yeah, one thing I've been having fun with with this campaign a lot is giving the characters lots of opportunity to, you know, lots of deals that they're making with very powerful entities. They've made multiple deals with multiple powerful entities. And it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. So I, so I dig that. Juniper. I think another fun bit is, so Juniper is a cheerful nano who possesses a shard of the sun. And she has been very optimistic until recently when seeing the fourth emperor and what it's been doing has really kind of shaken her. So it's, it's shaken her a lot. Her mother is a, a major NPC, Cassandra. And Cassandra is the one that's the only one that's really able to talk the, to the quad cores effectively. I think a fun secret and clue is that Cassandra has started dating Cucuccio who's like a, a biker. He's a winter's edge cavalry biker that rides around on a big, on a great big motorcycle. I think that's kind of, a, that, that, that will, that will be a fun. I think that'll be a fun thing that her mother is this super, super smart nano. And she's like, I just want you to know I've been, Cucuccio and I have been seeing each other. Right. That'd be kind of a funny sort of side, side NPC, a little, a, a little ship on the side of the NPCs. So that is Juniper, Beneficent Jack, who acts without consequence. His, his mother is around as well. His real name is William P. Jacobs. So a big question is what happens to, let's see, who are, who's his, who's his moms? See, these two are dating. Cucuccio and Cassandra are dating. Uh, Maeve, Maeve Jacobs, right? So a, a big question is what happens in the city of Bodrov? when the Faradon, when the Faradon takes over. And an interesting choice tonight, today, could be that the Orgolians of Badrav have gone crazy and started killing the people of Badrav as soon as the Herald, as, as soon as Faradon fell. So I think it's time to put Badrav in danger because now it offers them a choice, right? Now they have a, now they have a choice about where to go. Do they go back to Badrav and liberate Badrav, which I think they would very much want to do, or do they want to take over the eye, which is a satellite, a geosynchronous satellite floating above earth, one of six 
that can be used to drop tungsten rods down anywhere on their planet with the power of a nuclear bomb. That's really good. It's not a tactical weapon. Clearly, they can do more good if they have control of the eye, but they might lose Badrov and they might, you know, friends of theirs, including their mother, might be killed. Maeve Jacobs might be killed. I don't know if I want to be that mean. That's pretty mean, you know, but certainly like if they go down right away to deal with Badrov, they will have an easier time dealing with it. If they wait, they're going to have a harder time because the Orgolians will be dug in. Right. So I think that that could be the Orgolians are disconnected from Faradon and are seeking another herald, probably. And we have another herald name. Let's see. Slyandar. Slyandar, the second herald. So I think that that's a cool, that's a cool situation. And that, that ties into Nakia's mother, right? And then we have Samji 1138L, a protective glaive who fuses flesh and steel. The secret there is that Samji's brothers in arms reside beneath, what's it called? The Jade Colossus and could be used as an army to defeat the local Orgolians, where the tungsten rods would be too devastating. So they can build an army, right? They have to go on an adventure there. So that gives us some good thoughts, right? Yeah, so Sunjammer says, send the army to the Badrov and hit the eye. They could, but they can't just, they have to go liberate the army too, right? So that's a third these are, these are, you know, choices. Oh boy, but the hard part is what if they choose the other ones? I'll have to ad lib it all. I, I think they're going to go for the eye, right? And so I think we're going to prep for the eye because if they pick the other ones, I'm in real trouble. So maybe I don't want to push the other two too much because I also have to prep a game today and I don't want to prep three different things and then have them only pick one. So I think that their future choices will be, do they try to go liberate? I think we're going to do that. We're going to put, we're going to push the, the invasion of Badrov at the end of the eye. So today it's going to be other things, but let's, our strong start is connect me, says Takran. Takran the Excagate is a, he's kind of like a lich. Easiest way to think of him is he's a lich. He is a very powerful thousands, thousand year old historian who was originally a person, but became so encased in Numenera that now he's sort of this other entity. He has been manifested by a chrome skull that he's been carrying around and he, the, the characters have been carrying around, but it's, it sort of radios back to his central processing unit, which is a place known as the Vault of Takran. It's still there. His whole motivation has been to be connected to the data sphere of the fourth emperor. And now he sees it. If he's like, connect me to Faradon, I want to be Faradon. And if he's connected to Faradon, he will become a herald, but maybe a good guy, Harold, maybe good guy. I don't know, but he'll become an independent herald. Right. But he's saying like, now's the time, right? Do this. And I can data cast you to the eye. Time is precious. The other eye, the other partner eye, will destroy the first one if you don't get up there soon. The eyes are independent, right? The other eye commanded by Slander the Herald will destroy the first one if you don't get up there soon, right? So he's saying, like, you got to hook me up right away. But you're also hooking up a thousand-year-old lich to a super powerful artificial super intelligence. What does that do? 
And I think that they're probably going to hook up because they promised they would, right? And the so when they hook him up, and then he's like, I had no idea. And I'm going to steal a line from my one of my favorite terrible horror movies, which is Hellraiser 2, in which he says, he will state to think I hesitated, which I thought was really cool. What could possibly go wrong? So this changes, this will radically change Takrin. He will be far less human than he was he will become something else he will become a herald right he will be he will have herald level intelligence essentially like a level 10 right or level 9 or level 10 probably level 9 right and he's like how can i care i'm now gonna live i mean the last herald lasted 400 million years a thousand years to me is nothing and now i've got 400 million years of of knowledge and experience and brain power at my disposal like why would i care about people at all but he's like yeah but i still you know now his thought is like i want to be the one here in on earth like i don't want the fourth emperor here you know so you know so i'll, I'll go with that and so i yeah i think that that will change you know, radically change his relationship with them but i think he will still say like you know you're you right now the the things that you're doing now the the angles that you're taking are going to affect the next 400 million years so they matter to me right so yeah so I think that that is, I think, I think that's going to radically change his personality and that's going to be very interesting. Then at that point, like scene wise, so we have, you know, the, the, the Tacker and Bargrant, right? And I think to complicate things, I think this might be the moment where Jad can see the hex and it's everywhere. So that would be cool. So we have the Tacker and Bargain, we have data casting to the eye, to the first eye, right? There are six of them, so we'll call it the first eye because it's connected to the first herald. Taking over the eye, destroying the second eye. This will be, so this is Faradon's eye, right? And Faradon's eye, I think is what we'll call it. And the second one is Slyandar's eye. So the trick, they might have a choice here, right? Take over the eye and then a choice is so we'll have a choice. Destroy Slyandar's eye or data cast over and try to take that one over too, right? It'll take longer, but it could work. And then they will have that choice. Then another choice. Some of it they could do right away. So the, like, you know, what do they want to destroy? Do they want to blow up other temples of the what are they called of the heralds do they want to blow up the skybreakers and what else did, could they blow up once they have it do they want to blow up any occupied cities or Golian factories and then a big one do they want to hook up Takrin to the eye so he can destroy all of the other eyes even those on the other hemispheres so one idea is that the trajectory required to fire tungsten rods and skim off orbit and let them hit satellites that aren't directly in front of them is so complicated because of orbital dynamics because you have the three body problem right that 
only Tacrin could could calculate it correctly, right? It's just too un, it's too unlikely to hit. So only Tacrin can figure out the calculations of exactly at what angle and what velocity do you fire a tungsten rod. So it'll it'll essentially orbit the atmosphere or it'll orbit the Earth and hit and be able to hit one of the other eyes, right? You have to get it just right. And it's too, the, the math is too hard for a human being to do it, but Tacron can do it because he's now a super AI, right? So they have lots of choices there. And then next steps, and those are travel to the Jade Colossus to free Samji's brothers. Travel to Badra to liberate it from the Orgolians. What else? I guess those are two good choices. Do we need a third choice? I don't think we need a third choice. Uh, I guess the other one is travel to one of the other eyes, to the eye, the second eye, the eye of Slyandar, and take it over instead of destroying it. That could be kind of another one. So I think that those are good next steps for the next session. So where is this going? right? Eventually they are going to travel into the deep because it turns out that the gate that is being built to bring the fourth emperor into the world is being constructed underwater. And they know where there's a portal to reach underwater because they have their friends, Navro and Burham, who live both above ground and underwater, and they can follow them to their city, which would be cool because they'll go to a nice underwater city. They'll learn about the local thing, and then they will use that as sort of their staging ground for the final assault against the gate of the fourth emperor and they'll have to make some hard choices. So I think we're getting we're we're getting to the tail end of the campaign. I don't know how many more sessions it'll go. Probably three, four, I'd guess about four more sessions, maybe, if I had to guess about all of the different things that they're doing. So that that's kind of you know, that's the very loose sort of outline. You know, if we were going to, you know, look at the final stages, it's travel, you know, meet Navarro and Burham, right? They're, they're really cool. Everyone loves Navarro and Burham. They're like the best NPCs in Numenera. And it's because one is a giant fish wearing a mask that floats above the surface, right? Really fun. Really fun, too. Very fun crew. And so the, uh, he lives in a underwater city. So meet Navarro and Burham, begin the assault against the gate of the fourth emperor, the throne of the fourth emperor, and then make hard choices. I think that's the end of the campaign, right? So four, four, probably four-ish sessions to go, I would expect. But let's take a look at where we are in our prep. So I got my characters. That's cool. They are they have 48 experiences, and they are tier four, step zero. That just happened. That happened last week. So now I can see what tier four characters are like. We have our strong start. I think that's really cool. Some hard choices they have to make right up front. We have a bunch of scenes about what they could do, lots of choices they can make, meaningful choices that we can make. Always very cool. Secrets and clues. We have seven secrets and clues. We need three more. So what are some other secrets that they could learn? These are... Uh, let's see, when, when the Orgolians lose connection to a herald, they become violent. They become terribly violent, right? Their warlike nature goes, goes crazy. What else could they learn? So this is stuff that they would learn about the fourth emperor. Do we already have it that the fourth emperor, the fourth emperor throne is being constructed underwater it can't be hit by a tungsten rod from space you have to actually go down there you can't just blow it up and what else any other oh yeah of course we, we got the aurora thicks right the fourth emperor 
a number of Rorithics to hunt down and kill the characters. These are otherworldly assassins of tremendous lethality and are tremendously deadly. Cool. So I got my secrets, right? One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Got my 10 secrets. So locations. We're going to have to spend a little bit of time with locations and monsters today. So I want to make the, the, the location itself is going to be the Eye of Faradon, which is a satellite. But I, whoops, why am I going to D&D Beyond? I want to go my, to Dyson. I like Dyson maps. I always look for Dyson maps. And I bet you I can find a layout in a Dyson map archive that will suit. I think one of his smaller or smaller maps will work nicely for the internal workings of a internal workings of a satellite. He's got over a thousand maps on this page. One thing I like is he's just every map is on the page. But we'll let that roll and we'll think about some monsters. So what are the creatures that I want to have some different creatures than they've typically fought. Things like I, I think like relentless a relentless reaper is a pretty good a pretty good creature that they might find. Did they fight these guys already? The problem is like I'm running out of like synthetic things. So like what would I guess the interesting thing because I don't you know it'd be nice to have pictures though pictures are always nice. But like a big question is what kind of did the maps load? It says it loaded. Okay, let's look. There we go. Now we got maps. So let's take a look for a satellite map. A nice simple a nice simple map. Small. You know, again, this size, this Nurser hollow size, but I used a lot of these maps for, for Numenera and they work great. I used that map. And my trick with Numenera, with, with looking for maps for anything, is I try to, these geomorphs would work great, but I don't want to go through the trouble of piecing them together. These maps work really well for just about everything. Like I've used these maps every, everywhere. And what I find works really well is I just scroll until I find the first map that serves well enough. This map here is not bad. We're gonna we're gonna open that one. That Kamroth Karn is it's it's too big because I don't want them to spend days and days crawling through it. I really want like five or six rooms. This one is not bad. This ruined temple is not bad. Any of these geomorphs? Yeah, I'm really just looking for like five or six chambers, right? Not not a great big not a great big sprawling sprawling place. This one's not bad. I kind of like that one. So I think we'll stick with I think we'll stick with this one, right? And the, that that's that's about the right size. And I like ungridded myself. So we copy that image and we're going to make a new location. And this one is called Faradon's Eye. Now we have locations. Right, and we'll start, let's see. We will start in that lower right. You know, the, 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 the lower right area is probably where they data cast in, right? That's, that's where people data cast in. And so one is the data cast, is the, the Virtus, right? To the, to the Farad, to Faradon's data sphere. That's that first chamber in the lower right. Then, then right below that is probably a, uh, an external dock, right? outside of the the satellite and it has a window right overlooking earth so that's cool then we have these two chambers in the upper right and what if so i think the main chamber up in the in the far north 
so let's see. We have these two, the two chambers on the upper right. We'll, we'll mark those. And then the main chamber is the, the Faradon's Eye control center, right? And that has viewports on the north. What else is probably in there? It's a big chamber, right? And then six is right below it. So what kinds of things would we find? Well, it's pretty alien. So what we can do, because I can't think, nothing jumps right out at me, but let's look at some random tables here. So we're going to go pull up my cyberspace, cyberspace generator. Roll the dice. I have my cyberspace generator. I also have a high fantasy generator. Let's see if I can find that real quick. My science fantasy generator. Both of these are generators that are available to patrons on Sly Flourish. If you are a patron of Sly Flourish, look for Uncovered Secrets Volume 2, and both of these generators are inside Uncovered Secrets Volume 2, which you get on your rewards page on Patreon. Let's get some dice, and let's see what's in these weird chambers. Monuments are always good. So, let's see. We're going to roll a handful of dice. I think we will roll four dice, right? Get this in front of me so I can actually see what I roll. And this is going to be a monument, a condition, description, origin, and monument. We'll, we'll see what we get. So, oh, I rolled a d12. Look at that. Two, an obelisk. Can't, can't go wrong with an obelisk. Eight is a electrical obelisk. Cool. Three is a nano-constructed electrical obelisk. That works too. And it is giant. So... Yeah, that works. I like that. That's good. So this is in one, two, so three is a giant electrical nano created obelisk. So pro what's its purpose? Is it power? Probably power, right? I think that would work. Maybe those. Maybe each of those are two generators, all right? Three and four could actually be the same, that they are key generators. And they probably are contained, right? We have creatures. And they're probably maintained. We're going to use those. Um, where, where did I have them before? These guys, the Relentless Reapers. They're probably maintained by these guys. And that's page 106 of Bestiary 1, right? So that works. We have the main hall here. There's probably a single powerful creature that runs this thing, Right? that the, the eye isn't just a satellite. The eye is also essentially another herald. It's not, it doesn't operate like a herald, but we could have like a very powerful creature in here. It's almost like another boss fight. Like they're going to do another big boss fight. And it operates the, it operates the, you know, it takes commands from Faradon and operates the tungsten rods. And what would this thing be called? The eye, right? It could be just called the eye of Faradon. And it is a, we'll make it level seven. Yeah. Um, but it attacks a lot of people, right? And there's probably a bunch of, let's let's pull up another best area here. Where are my best areas? We'll go to the best area too. We'll do a quick flip through. I'm looking for like medium sized synthetic creatures that could have lived up in a satellite for 400 million years, deactivated and then were reactivated. So they could be sort of nano based. Oh, look at that thing. That's cool. Big slime dudes. I don't know. Could this thing? That's a little too weird. Because the problem is biological stuff. Biological stuff really couldn't have survived inside the inside a satellite that far up. Oh, uh, they already face clickers. It's funny. I'm actually, I've, I've now used quite a few of the monsters in this. Cyclic raiders. That's, that's pretty cool. Do they face these guys? 
I think they might have. But those are pretty cool. I will go with it. Cyclic Raiders, 39, page 39, Bestiary 2. I think that those would be good with the Eyes of Faradon, right? So that's that's cool. Is there an NPC? I'm like, it would be kind of fun for them to meet an NPC here. There could be like the messenger, right? A messenger that that is the one that sort of makes sure that the messages get from Faradon, you know, get from Faradon to the eye, right? That'd be kind of a fun NPC. And it's probably like a floating, it, it will make it like the bit in Tron, right? It kind of floats and changes its types. It's very low level, kind of annoying. You know, a herald for a herald, as they say. I think that would be pretty good. I think that lower chamber here might be the area where they act, you know, where it actually fires the rods, right? The rail gun, right? So the rail gun is in that lower area. And then what's in that far left chamber? What what could be there? Maybe, what if, I don't know, I don't need another super powerful entity. Because I was going to say, what if they had imprisoned somebody up here? What if they imprisoned some kind of creature up here that was, you know, imprisoned by <laughs> the fourth emperor for 400 million years? That'd be pretty terrible. So... I don't know if I'm, you know, I think we've already done it. Like we already did that. The hex, we already had another prisoner. So I don't know if we need another thing like that. Let's roll. Let's roll one, one last list to fill out that chamber. We'll go with another whole series of rolls here. We have, I think I already had rolled a two, right? Two was it. We're going to roll that one again. That's eight. Eight is holographs. 19, transparent holographs. That makes sense. Monstrous transparent holographs. Superhuman monstrous transparent holographs. So maybe there is an entity here, but maybe it's nice, right? And what was it? There's a there's a, a like a city sized. So I think like it's a construct, right? It's a data sphere construct of a city sized humanoid. And there is there's a if we go to discovery somewhere here, right? And I go to creatures, there there is a great big walking city thing. It has like a city on its, it has like a city and a shell around its head. Anybody, anybody trained in Numenera can remind me what this thing is. Damn, I can't remember. Is it in Bestiary 1? It's very, very big. I actually ran a creature that sort of is like this thing, but smaller in one of my first games. So maybe we'll look that up real quick. Because it was so cool. All right, let's go back to my old notes. And it was like in the first one, so old session notes. This was February. And a Lados, Lad, the Lados, that was called. Ladoses are level 10, and they are in, what's that little cross sign is? Ninth World Bestiary. So the first one, page 74. There it is. Yeah, of a Lados, 74, Bestiary 1. So that's kind of another big powerful entity, but this one isn't isn't a, a, another world destroying one. It's actually nice, and maybe it can save Badrov, right? That could be kind of a cool thing. So we'll put that one as a Lados. It's a level ten. It's as strong as the Emperor. So I think sure, like I could probably use another thirty minutes prepping this game, but it's good enough. Where we're at, where we are. I've got monsters. Treasure I can always roll. So do I feel fully prepared? No, 
but I feel prepared enough. Yeah, I got secrets, I got scenes, I got locations, I got monsters, I got all kinds of things. I can always roll random stuff if I need it. So I feel pretty good, and that is where we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna call this session of prep over. So I want to thank everybody for hanging out with me this morning while I prep for my Numenera game. If you enjoyed this show, you can help me on four different ways. One, you could subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter and get weekly articles to your email inbox. Two, you could support me directly on Patreon, get access to all kinds of exclusive material and video previews and everything else, and help me put on shows like this. Three, you can pick up any of my books on the Sly Flourish bookstore. That's in the show notes below. Four, you can subscribe to my videos on YouTube, like it, give it a thumbs up, tell your friends, email it to your DM, whatever you want to do. So thank you all very much for hanging out with me today. Always appreciate it. Have a great day and get out there and play a role-playing game.